Welcome to the Loss and Lifting Talk podcast. The show is created to help you find your confidence by breaking down the complicated science of training and nutrition and turning it into simple, but more importantly, practical solutions that you can implement right away to start creating real results inside your body composition. We don't stop there either. We dive into the mental aspect of fitness to not only build a better body, but a better life all around. Podcasts were the medium where I learned and grew as an individual more than any other place in my life. The goal of this podcast is to give that back to you to start building the exact body and life that you know you're capable of. So without further ado, let's jump into the episode. Alex, what's up, my man? Not a whole lot. It feels like it's been quite a bit since we talked last. I didn't, it has like, been a while. I know we had that kind of span like over the holidays and I kind of like prep for that, but still it's like, feels like it's been like months. Yeah. But it's been like I two know. weeks. Has it been two? It's been two or three weeks because we recorded, was it the week before Christmas? And then we took Christmas off. We took the following week off. I think it's been three. We haven't recorded the last three weeks, maybe. Yeah. Something like that. It becomes part of the routine. And this is like, you don't realize like how like routine it gets until you don't have it. And you're like, yeah. it feels kind of, it feels kind of weird. Not like chatting and kind of having the Q and a. Yeah, I know. It's nice too, because then we can connect and like after the podcast is over, have conversation about just how things are going, talk about different client scenarios that are happening and making sure that we're always staying on the same page with things too. So I'm excited to, to get to chat with you for just a second, but before we hit record, I noticed that you've got a, you're sitting there looking nice and comfy. You're sitting there in a robe. It looks like maybe you just kind of woke up. <laughs> How's your day going so far? It's good. So I was telling Chaz before we hopped in here, I had my eye appointment this morning um, and then I kind of just got home, settled, had a meal and now I'm here. Um, but this is actually not a robe. It's a heated blanket. Oh, so I got oh, it tossed looks over like my a shoulders. But if you remember the podcast from... I guess that would have been four or five weeks ago where I mentioned like I was sitting in my basement freezing cold because it's it just gets so darn cold down here, especially like over the winter. I don't know if it was coincidence or not, but for Christmas, my girlfriend gave me like a heated like throw blanket to, to like toss over my shoulders. And I'm like, was that because you listened to the podcast? Yeah, or does, she listen, because, does she like, listen? She does listen to um, the episodes, but I don't know if she lis listened to that one specifically or if they kind of like intertwine. But yes, um, she does listen. I did get a throw blanket to toss over my shoulders. So now the worry of like being cold in my basement, it's good. I'm good. I'm nice. I'm cozy. It's like a having like a nice just kind of warmness around your neck. It's it's good. You're looking nice and cozy. Yeah, it's supposed to be sick. <laughs> It's supposed to be six degrees on Monday. Really? A high of six. Damn. We were just in Idaho for the holidays and it was definitely, it was cold up there. Like we woke up in the mornings, it was like 15 degrees compared to down here in St. George, which the mornings here are only like 35, maybe 40, but the days seem to warm up a little bit. But I'm from like that cold country, right? I grew up born and raised in Idaho and only lived down in Southern Utah where it's in the desert, decent amount warmer for like the last three years. And I've turned into a pansy when it comes to the cold, like everybody else seems fine. I even see, see people in Idaho, like born and raised there wearing shorts. And I look at them just like, man, you guys are freaking crazy. I always get crap for it. Cause everyone's like, well, aren't you from Iceland? Like, aren't you made to be like in the cold? And I'm like, well, yeah, but it's been about 
17 years since I lived there. Like my yeah. body's adjusted since then. And I'm you the same way. I would, quickly. I would rather be too warm than like any sort of cold. Would you see? I'm different. I, I actually, I don't love the heat. Like I, I like St. George and where we're at, but like if I had to either deal with the winters in Idaho or the summers in St. George where we're like 110 to 120, I I think I hate them both equally. Like I hate too hot. It's almost more than I hate too cold sometimes because if it's too cold, like you can dress appropriately for most occasions, right? If it's too hot, you're just kind of screwed. You're going to be too hot regardless of how many clothes that you have on. And so I go back back and forth with that. I'm not yeah, I hate the heat, but also when it's too cold, it's too cold. But I, I think I'd rather be cold than hot. I haven't experienced the extent of like 110, 120. So maybe if it's I experienced like, <laughs> uh, like Arizona, like summer, or like a Utah summer, like maybe I would change that. But as of now, it gets to, I, I'd want to say like maybe like a few times a year we see like triple digit heat. Um, but for the most part, it's going to be like high 90s for the most part, um, mixed within some humidity. But yeah, I mean, I would honestly rather have that than even like once it gets to like 20s, it's just like, OK, this is this is too cold for me. It's like you, you got to like remote start the car, like defrost the windshield, you're freezing, driving to the gym. And it's just like, no, like I'd rather just be like insanely hot driving to the gym. Are you into any any winter sports? Do you guys even have like mountains around in in missouri like for snowboarding or any of that kind of stuff or nothing so we have what's called hidden valley um i've never actually been there before but i want to say they do like artificial snow so like sometimes it does yeah. actually snow and it works well but i want to say they open every year and it's just kind of and i could be totally wrong on that i've never actually been skiing or snowboarding or anything ever ever never. I've, I've never stepped my foot I don't even so like the snowboards for example like I've never stepped my foot like inside an actual like thing to like know what that would even feel like I've oh, seen if you come to Utah in the winter to visit at any point I'm taking you on a snowboard I saw this um TikTok the other day it was like first time skiing things and it was like this person it's who rough. like <laughs> their knees were like totally bent inward and like their skis were like totally pushed out but I guess they didn't like have the strength to like bring their legs back in. So they just kept like going all the way down the hill and just completely like wipe somebody out like ahead of them because they didn't know how to like steer, yeah. I guess. I was like, yeah, that would be me. Yeah, you can run into some pretty brutal situations. I grew up um, on a snowboard. And while we were back in Idaho this this last weekend, we have a new little resort that was built um, that's really only like 10 minutes from our house, from where my family lives. And before that, to get to the nearest resort, it was like an hour and 20, 30 minute drive. And so it's super convenient. It's just right there, but there's not a ton of snow in Idaho yet. And so they have the same thing. It's just all, um, fake snow, but I took my daughter up there for the first time. She's six while we were home a couple of days after Christmas, or maybe it was just the day before New Year's Eve, actually, and um, put her on a snowboard for the first time. And we'd get up to like to the top of the bunny hill and 
it was so much fun. Like I just grabbed her arms because I'm not the greatest teacher. Like I'm not an expert when it comes to snowboarding. I know how to do it for myself in the right fields and I can cruise and do a few different things. Like I'm pretty decent at it. But with her, like I don't really know how to teach her to do it. So I got her going down and she would just kind of face plant and I could tell that she was getting just more and more frustrated as we got started. So as we got back up to the top, I just grabbed onto her hands. And so like we were kind of, we were facing each other and I just started cruising and holding her in my hands and got going fast and like was doing like the carving and turning and stuff. And she was mm -hmm. having the time of her life, just holding on for dear life um, as we were cruising, cruising around. It was one of like the, being a dad, it was honestly one of like the funnest experiences that I've had being a dad. Like there's something so cool about with your little ones, teaching them things that like you grew up loving and getting to experience it with them and teach them how to do it for the very first time. There was just something that was like, it was a dope experience. So since then, like I've kind of been obsessed with like, like my algorithms are all on like snowboarding feeds and all that kind of stuff. Cause I have the urge to, to go back up to the mountains and take her, which I think we might do here in the next couple of weeks. I was going to say, it almost kind of makes me like, from my point of view, looking into like you taking Charlie snowboarding, it's almost like watching yourself get to go through that experience, but from like an outsider's perspective, because obviously like a lot of you is seen in Charlie. And so that's kind of like, oh, like this is me going through watching myself like 20 years ago trying to do this. And now it's like I get to just get a whole new perspective of like what it was like to actually learn to snowboard and like, you know, it's being taught the process. Yeah. And kind of pass it on to generations. And what's, what's really cool about it too. Like when I started, I essentially taught myself. I never had lessons. Like I didn't have, uh, my mom or dad weren't into snowboarding. They both skied a little bit, but like, I didn't really go up to the mountains with them. I would just go with friends and it's like, Hey, learn how to do this. And through trial and error, I was able to learn. But like looking back for myself, thinking how cool it would have been like for me personally, like to have, let's say a dad that was into it and like could take me up and teach me like me thinking of that perspective for myself sound like that sounds so cool to me. Right. And so for me to be able to be the dad and do that with my daughter, like something about that makes it extra cool. Like, I guess it just gives me those moments to where I feel like the cool dad, so to speak, mm -hmm. which is gratifying and and just cool to be able to to do that sort of thing for sure i'm not quite there yet but i'm sure when i get to that kind of stage of yeah, life what, it'll be what are, something. what are you having kids anytime soon so it's it's funny because when <laughs> i trained in person it's funny because my girlfriend is actually pregnant no and not that funny <laughs> but when okay. i trained in the gym like we've kind of discussed before my entire clientele was essentially like females. And so I learned just through their stories of like, I've basically sworn to like not have a kid before 30. They were like, promise me like one thing that you will not have a kid before you turn 30. And I was like, all right, you guys keep saying this like magic 30 number. I guess, I guess there's some truth to it. I don't know. But yeah, that's kind of been yeah. what, what my girlfriend and I've had, what my girlfriend and I have discussed just as far as it's kind of like having our own time, like, living the life youth, of like yeah. no kids no pets traveling just kind of enjoying that for a little bit before we dive into like having kids so like we've discussed basically like within it, it would be no sooner than five years and no later than like probably like 10. 
one one piece of advice. All right, let's hear it. Parenting advice. This is really serious. You ready? All right. All right, I'm listening. Birth control. See, my girlfriend actually hated birth control. Oh, really? Yeah, she well, tried that whole experience. Absolutely hated it. My experience with that. So my just a little uh, background, how I became a parent, in case any of you are interested in that. You might not be, but let's get to know each other a little bit, a little bit better on a deeper level. Clara and I, my wife, Clara, and I dated all through, like, quote unquote, became boyfriend and girlfriend in like the eighth grade. And and we we essentially dated all the way through my sophomore year in college. So had a ton of time together. And then we broke up in college for like three or four years, both dated other people, different things happened. And we we both ended up breaking up with with different people that we were dating after we were together and both ended up back in our hometown in Idaho and Preston um, and just kind of fell back into dating once again. And this is at like 25 years old. And at this point, like kind of talking about getting married, I'm not so sure if I want to get married quite yet, but like growing up in a Mormon culture, right? It's like, okay, if you're like, you shouldn't date for too long, you guys need to get married like as quickly as possible and like solidify and start your life so that you don't sin, quote unquote, right? And so mm -hmm. like in that culture, but what ended up happening through that was as we got back together and we've been dating for maybe... 12 ish months close to just above or just under a year she got pregnant as we were still dating and like figuring out if we were gonna get married and whatnot um which like i don't regret her getting pregnant by any means charlie is the biggest blessing um in in our lives absolutely and i love being a dad but at the same time i do like the idea of you guys trying to wait until like i feel like 30 is a a really good age to where like you're not too old but yet you've been able to experience everything and be selfish for a good amount of time like i think i would have loved to have some time with clara and i actually being married and living together to where we just had like our own time to to be with each other and focus on ourselves because right as soon as she got pregnant like from our culture that we grew up in in, in the mormon culture like it's like okay well if you're pregnant her dad was the bishop of the ward so like he was like the bishop that like presides over a big part of the community and so like it's kind of important to upstand to that i guess in mm -hmm. a sense and so like for us it's like okay like how do we respect her family like how do we make all this work so it's like okay let's hurry and get married Right. So we got married when she's like three months pregnant. So she has to go through her whole wedding um, pregnant as well as like um, just like rushing through the wedding. Like she we didn't really get to have the exact wedding that she probably would have really wanted because it was rushed. And it's like we just need to hurry and get through this whole process mm -hmm. so that we're married and then we can announce that we're pregnant, which it's kind of a I would frame that it, it felt looking back it felt rushed and kind of toxic and like we didn't get to do things on our own time because of the expectation of the culture that we're from if that makes sense not to go into too much detail with that but um but yeah take your time and just make sure you're using preventative measures that's all i'm gonna say is as the big mature chaz coming coming at you from this point <laughs> I, I actually never I mean, we've known each other a few years now and yeah, I've no, never right. actually known that story or like how that like came about or anything. So yeah, something, yeah. something new. Yeah. That's how it, that's how it happened. I don't, I've never shared that on the the podcast or like been super public about it, but like at this point in our lives, 
I mean, I'm kind of an open book and would rather, if you have experiences, I think it's important to share them. And I think other people can relate to them in some ways and maybe not in others, but, but yeah. Or even, yeah, some people can learn and whatnot or yeah. But uh, what do you say? Do we have some new year's questions or what are we chatting about today? Yeah, we do have, I brought up three questions. Um, they're not really New Year's focused. We already we filmed some episodes back in the middle of December that we knew would drop at the first of the year. So the last episode or two that's come out, I believe, were kind of based around New Year's and like setting goals and that and whatnot. And then next week's episode that's going to drop is the episode that you filmed with. I forgot her name. Caitlin. With Caitlin. So these guys will have already listened to that episode at that point. Um, so no need to, to go into too much detail with that because you'll have listened to it. And if you haven't, scroll back one episode and Alex did an, an episode with Caitlin. And what, what did you guys talk about in that episode? Like what was the the main subject line? Like what's her specialty and what was the point of even having a conversation with her in the first place? Essentially, just looking beyond the basics of just solely training and nutrition for optimal health um, and by optimal optimal health, it's basically if we have like the left, the center, and like the right, almost like a continuum. It's like instead of just focusing on like not being sick or being just kind of in like, hey, like I'm normal. How can we get you to going from normal to feeling great and kind of just things to look out for, um, some kind of like warning signs, kind of dove into some blood work stuff, some lab work stuff. But yeah, that was kind of like the main purpose was just kind of taking your body to the next level by doing some deeper diving into like what's actually happening on the inside. I actually saw was it, it was biased Eddie... towards females? Sorry to cut you off, but like, was the topic kind of biased towards females or was it kind of like just the human body in general? definitely biased towards females. Um, but what I was going to kind of quote there was from Eddie Cohen. He actually did a post recently um, on the Merrick Health page, but he described the whole process as we do all these things for so many years. Like we're eating, we're lifting heavy, we're trying to get the specific stimulus for our body. And you can look so, so healthy from the outside until something just like breaks it's like you can drive your car all you want but every now and then someone's car just kind of like oh crap like i need to you know fix this massive issue our bodies work that same way sometimes we have what's called this kind of like the silent things where it's like you don't necessarily feel it all or you don't realize like how severe it's gotten and it's just kind of learning to be a bit more preventative with all that as a whole instead of waiting to be like oh crap I feel like I'm broken. Yeah, I love that. So if you guys um, are interested in that sort of thing, like your body's health that overall, like understanding your your blood markers, maybe getting some testing done, that kind of stuff. If you maybe you feel good or maybe you feel slightly off, um, that could be a good episode for you to go listen to. Again, Alex took kind of a solo lead on that one and and interviewed Caitlin. Is her name correct? Correct. Or yeah, so. if you want to call her k-mac fitness as her instagram name is i i kind of like k-mac better i do too you'll have to bring that up too i like k-mac i feel like it's a little more original 
So yeah. anyway, yeah, if you guys want to go listen to that episode, diving into all of that stuff, um, please do so. It's one episode back. Show Alex some love on that. Um, and he'll be doing some more episodes like that through this year as well to where he's going to bring on um, specific people and dive into a little bit more nuanced type of stuff when it comes to female health, female hormones, menstrual cycles, all that kind of stuff where he really specializes in in and coaching and um, have conversations with other people who specialize in that as well. And then I'll be bringing some people on myself to do some of my own episodes with, with others. I'll be throwing in a few solo episodes every now and again. And Alex and I will be of course doing our dual podcast once per week on Thursdays too. I'm thinking of, uh, well, not thinking of, I'm going to have to start bumping up the podcast to probably two episode drops per week. I'm not committing to that quite yet. I'm still looking for somebody on the back end who can kind of take lead on the podcast in regards to editing the podcasts and posting them and making sure that like the production side of it is all taken care of because that's something that I'm not willing to take on with two episodes per week. I just don't necessarily have the time for it. So if anybody listening to this knows a podcast engineer or somebody who manages other people's podcasts and could possibly take on one more podcast where we're looking to drop two episodes per week where you'll do all of like the audio quality, editing the podcast down, posting the podcast, creating clips for them to be able to post post onto social media profiles and that kind of stuff. Um, if you are that type of person that does that for work, or if you know somebody who does that, who's looking for some extra work, please feel free to, to reach out to me. My email's down below and um, I'd be happy to have a conversation because I am actively looking for that. So let's hop into some of these questions. We've got three of them here. They've actually all come from TikTok this week. So question right, number one. Let's hear it. I struggle with energy and motivation when I'm on my cycle. So when I'm on my period, would it be okay to deload during my period each month? What's your thoughts? Yes, it, it would. Okay? I was going to say, yes, it would. Um, my view of this and kind of the way that I've taught clients as of late, as I've kind of dug deeper into the research kind of behind all this is from my understanding is there's going to be some women who go through the cycle and experience the kind of like typical symptoms, feeling a bit more sluggish, maybe being a bit more hungry, kind of being being a bit more irritable, like those types of things. And so what I suggest to those clients, if you do experience that dip in energy, dip in performance, whatever it is, pay attention to these types of trends that you notice. And this isn't going to be something where you have one singular cycle and it's like oh i have all these answers but maybe you notice like the week before your actual period comes you tend to feel this this and this and then all i would do is just auto regulate and that sounds super fancy it's just a way of saying like how am i adjusting my training intensity and training volume throughout just my lifting journey auto regulate maybe you don't feel a hundred percent or maybe you're not able to lift 100% of the weights that you were lifting, let's say a week, you know, two weeks ago during ovulation. And like, that's okay because what feels like maybe 70%, 60% that day is going to be 100% of what you have actually to work off of. Like if your energy is low, you're just feeling a bit more fragile, giving 60% might be your 100%. And that's the way I kind of have clients auto-regulate it's just kind of listening to yourself, not going just based off of basic Instagram posts. That's like, hey, during this 
phase, you are going to feel this, this, and this, because I find that this locks people into one type of thinking. So learn to think more so based on your own experiences and then use that to modify your own training. I would agree. I think that in regards to, he uses the word, Alex used the word auto-regulate and probably the vast majority of you will understand what that means. But if there's any of you who don't understand what auto-regulate means, it just, he's simply referring to the idea of it just based off of how you feel is the effort that you give, right? So like if, if it's the week before your cycle or like I've experienced women who the week before their cycle is when they experience all of the symptoms like low energy, maybe higher cravings, um, lower motivation to be able to train, just that sluggish feeling. But then I've also had women who experience that when they're actually on their period as well. So like there's seems to be that variance to where it's either kind of the week before or it's during. And I've, I've experienced that both at different levels with different types of women. It sounds like you're about to say something. Yes. So super quickly, there is actually a reason for that. Um, and it's an important clarification to make just based off the information that's kind of currently given. So when individuals say you're going to feel these symptoms in your luteal phase, what they most often actually mean is that late luteal phase into early menstruation. So it would be more so like the last two, three days before your cycle. And then like two to three days, like into your cycle. That's my wife. Yes. Like and so that's like, that's like <laughs> the normal and like, it can be longer, it can be shorter, but that's why it's like, you feel it before and you feel it during people just, just classify it as like, this is your luteal phase, but it's like, you don't feel that way during your whole luteal phase. It mm -hmm. might be the last two to three days and then the first two to two to three days into the cycle and that's what people really mean if you wanted to get a bit more understanding of that so yeah so um basically understand when when you typically start to experience those symptoms it's probably a good idea and like i'm not sitting here saying i'm an expert in female cycles because i'm not obviously but i've worked with a lot of ladies like it's a good idea to track your cycle to kind of have an understanding which phase you are currently in when your cycle is about to show up so you can kind of pay attention to how you're feeling and if you're feeling like crap and it stays consistent around that time like a couple of days leading into your cycle right before your menstrual cycle and then a couple of days into it and you have the kind of that timeline timeline you know like going into those training depending upon how you're feeling and the symptoms that you're feeling you can auto regulate and what i was getting at with auto regulate just simply means go based off of how you're feeling if you're usually doing three or four really heavy sets with like you're going into a squat session maybe it's a good idea like to auto regulate and you're not feeling that great maybe it's one or two heavy sets during your uh, to auto-regulate, to allow yourself um, a little bit of grace during that time. Or maybe it's the same amount of sets, but maybe you just decrease in weight. And so I think that there's absolutely nothing wrong with auto-regulating and deloading around those select times of the month for women. Um, 
to allow yourself a little bit of that grace and not to just to always try to be pushing so hard and get into the mindset of, oh man, I feel like crap, but I still have to give like the same 100% effort that I'd give when I don't feel like crap. Because over the long term, that's just going to lead to to burnout and potentially into kind of an all in or all out mentality. Like it's a much better idea instead of just saying, I'll screw it all together and, and say, screw it with my training, screw it with my nutrition during this time because I don't feel that great. Well, learning to, or because you're thinking that like, if I'm not 100%, like it doesn't matter anyway, just keeping the habit in place and getting in some movement and and training through those movement patterns still works very well. And another thing that I do with a lot of ladies around um, their, their menstrual cycles is they'll experience much higher cravings, right? And so something that's very simple to do in this time, like nutrition wise, if you're having a hard time staying on point, well, you can always plan a, a monthly refeed around that part of your cycle to allow yourself more calories to, if you're in a fat loss phase where you're back up at a maintenance level to just focus on kind of sustaining through that time frame to give yourself that grace period on higher food, to be able to, to auto-regulate and listen to your body, to put yourself in a position when the cycle is over to come back into the deficit and keep pushing as opposed to thinking, Oh, I've got to stay in this deficit until you, like you get to your, your breaking point where it's like, screw it. Like I'm hungry and you go all in and eat whatever you want, as opposed to kind of planning ahead of time, be like, okay, I know I'm going to give myself some more food during this time back up at a maintenance level to just focus on sustaining so that you're not losing progress during that time. You're just holding where you're at and then you dip back into the deficit as soon as you're back to 100% to continue pushing things forward. So there's a lot of different types of strategies that you can use um, around your hormonal fluctuations during your your the month of your cycle to adjust and and keep things moving in that right direction. But it comes down to understanding your symptoms when they happen and planning ahead of time as opposed to just kind of reacting to it every single month. Proactive, not reactive. That's one of the first things that you ever like, when I was first kind of starting coaching clients with you, that was like the number one thing I remember is just if you get across to them that being proactive versus reactive, like that's going to save, save them a lot, a lot of frustration in their journey. And I think that goes for many, many things, even beyond just the cycle. Mm -hmm. It's just like many people just fail to look and see kind of, okay, what is this week bringing at me and how can I work around potential roadblocks? And yeah, I mean, that's really, I say that's all it is. Like it's this easy thing to do. I mean, it is tough to do at times it takes time away from you but it actually then saves you that time back plus more because you just know what the week's supposed to look like and you don't gotta guess and see like oops well i think i can train today but i'm not sure that's one of the biggest jobs as a coach to like that's one of the biggest benefits to having a coach and like when I'm coaching people, that's my main priority each week when we're holding check-ins is like, what do you have coming up in your next week that can potentially get in your way? And then you can get a list. Oh, I've got this social dinner here. Oh, my cycle's coming up this month. And like, this is what happens during it or, or my kids have this or like there's this or that. Well, if we have the an idea of what's coming up in your week, then in your in my clients' check-ins every single week, a big part of that check-in process is coming up with strategies around what they have coming up so that they can tackle and still live their life and go through these experiences with everything that they have going on that life throws at you on a weekly basis, but have strategies and approaches to attack those types of scenarios to not allow those to continue to be excuses 
over and over. If you're somebody who is always like using the excuse each week of, oh, well, my kids had this, or I had this dinner or work went late, or I had to work overtime or whatever it is, like, sure, there's going to be shit that shows up every once in a while that is just unplanned for that you kind of have to just white knuckle your way through. But a lot of the times, for a lot of you, I would bet that a lot of what you're using as excuses as to why you can't stay on point each week, you probably knew that was coming up a few days in advance and you just failed or ignored coming up with a strategy to be able to approach that situation from more of like a, a level mindset as opposed to like just saying, screw it, we'll just figure it out when I'm there. And then when you, whenever you try to do that, things typically don't go that well, right? And so just as Alex said, proactive as opposed to reactive. What do you have coming up this week? What are the strategies that I can use to approach that? If it's a social dinner, it's like, hey, I don't want to track it. It's like, I want to enjoy. Okay, well, that's great. Let's implement the one plate rule for this meal. So through the day, you're going to track, you're going to leave yourself around 800 calories for that night. And then at that meal, you're going to try to prioritize a, a protein portion if you can in your meal. You're going to include whatever you want on that one plate. But the rule is you just stick to that one plate. So you're not tracking, but you have a structure of, I'm just going to eat this one plate. Could you go over calories a little bit? Sure. But you're not going into it thinking, okay, well, it's either like all or nothing to where I'm just going to eat whatever I want and as much of it as I want. No, you have a structure to be able to enjoy, but still stay on track. Um, in a sense, it's going to keep momentum on your side over the long term. It's going to keep you moving forward as opposed to using these different types of situations that show up in weekly, regular life as excuses as to why you can never actually be on track. So my two cents i covered my two cents so i think we can go ahead and move on to question two if you feel like we covered that enough question number two all right here's a good one that we can dive into some detail this will be the last one okay how many reps should i do per set if i want to build more muscle definition study the magic rep range the magic rep range, um, according to the research, there isn't necessarily like the magic rep range. I want to hmm. say it's like you can do anywhere between like five to like third. I think it goes up to like 30 reps. That's mm -hmm. been shown to be like beneficial towards muscle growth. Um, but I think that like one thing that it doesn't take into account for is just overall central nervous system fatigue that you'd like build doing like constant 20 to 25 rep sets. Um, so my magic range, if I were to narrow that down would be like six to 15, I'd say it's like 90, like 95% of the work that are program for clients is between like six to 15, just because it's, a loadable rep range without being so, so stressful on like the nervous system just kind of built up over time. But simply put like five to 30, if you really wanted to keep it open to like setting it up different ways. Yeah, I would agree. This is the interesting thing about the fitness industry is that you're going to find experts who are on both ends of this scenario. So like what comes to mind for me, you think of a guy like Paul Carter and his rep ranges. I followed his programming in the past 
and his rep ranges are going to be like what he deems is best is somewhere around like six to 10 reps to build muscle. As long as you're, you're like, you're reaching his training, you're going to go to absolute failure because you're not doing near as many sets, right? He's got you doing like one, maybe every once in a while, two hard sets for each exercise that you're taking to all out complete failure. And I've trained that way before and I've seen results. And then on the other end of that spectrum, you have a guy like Mike Isratel, who is very much a proponent of, for whatever reason, a lot of higher rep sets. He likes people taking a lot of their sets to 15 to 30 reps. He'll even run like barbell squats at like 15 plus plus reps, which is absolutely insane. And he, he programs in a way that's like, you should be increasing sets on a weekly basis as long as your body is recovering properly. Right. Like if I recovered well from three sets last week on the on a barbell back squat for for 20 reps, which would be hard for me to be able to do. But like if you recovered well in a week in the next week, well, then you should do four sets of that. If you recovered well in your last week, well, then you should go up to five sets for that in these higher rep ranges. And what I'll say from that as well, I've trained that way and I've seen results. Right. And so it's that's the hard part about the fitness industry is because a lot of these guys will talk. In, and this is where I get frustrated. And the longer and longer that I stay in it, I see the frustration of the consumers in the industry consuming all of this social media content from these quote unquote experts, which I would, they are experts. Like they know what they're talking about and they do a, a really good job and they do get people results and they understand a lot of the science. But at the same time, like there's science showing that five to 10 reps is great to build muscle. There's science showing that 10 to tw or 20 to 30 reps is really good at building muscle. And at the end of the day, like what it comes down to, you're going to have these different people telling you there's these like different rep ranges that are best. One, what I would consider for you is like, what kind of rep range do you like to train in? Right. How many reps do you like to do as a, as long as it's above five reps and you're training to build muscle, as long as you're getting five plus reps, you're probably in a fine position. I don't know anybody that's going to like to train above 30 reps. Like if you like to do that, weight's probably a little bit too light and you should try to increase the intensity in regards to the amount of weight that you're using in the first place. But the most important part to building muscle at the end of the day, in, in my opinion, is choose the rep range that you want to train in as long as it's above five reps. And from there, just make sure that you're getting near failure, right? If you want to do a lesser amount of sets, for each muscle group. And it's probably a really good idea. Like if you're only doing one to two sets, well, if you want to have like productive training sessions and, and adequate enough volume, you're gonna have to train pretty much to failure, right? If you want to do, if you like the idea of doing three, four, five sets, well then like your body might not be able to recover from going all the way to failure in each of those sets for each exercise. So you may need to back off a little bit and maybe you're two, three reps shy of failure in your training. And like from results from people, you can get results either way. Now your particular situation, like, and your body may respond better to one style of that training as opposed to the other side of that, of that training. So that's something you have to kind of learn for yourself, but there's research showing that it all works. It, at the end of the day, it really comes down to like, if you want to build more muscle definition, are you training hard enough? Your, your sets need to be Close, and we've talked about this in previous episodes, so I don't want to regurgitate it too much, but are you training actually close enough to failure um, to force adaptation? And then are you progressing from that? So if you, you did, let's say, three sets of 
20 reps on a barbell back squat, which would make me puke at this point to, to get close enough to failure doing that. But if, if that's what you like to do and you did it for 225 pounds, well, in the, in the next week, you either need to add an extra rep with the 225 pounds or you need to match reps with 230 pounds and continue that process over the long term as long as you're close enough to failure and you're going to see progress. So figure out which exercises you like to maybe be in those lower rep ranges, which exercises you like to be in the higher rep ranges, or if you like to keep all the exercises in the exact same rep range of whatever that may be, just make sure you're training close enough to failure and your body will respond. And if you try it for a little bit and you feel like you're not responding that well, well, then maybe it's a good idea to, if you're training in high rep ranges, maybe it's a good idea to try a little bit lower rep ranges and see if your body responds better to that than the other and, and experiment a little bit. But at the end of the day, your rep range can be, as Alex said, anywhere from five to 30 reps. Um, but just make sure you're training close to failure and then progressing that over time with added reps or added weight or making sure that your form is better than it was the week before. And you're following from what we know in the research, what's needed to produce results. And then from there, you can tweak and experiment with different little things and different types of strategies that may work better for you to be able to respond from. For myself, I know that I do respond typically a little bit better for whatever reason to a little bit higher volume. So getting anywhere from like most exercises, I'll do anywhere from two to four sets over a, a given period with maybe staying one, maybe two reps shy of failure on most stuff and pushing maybe to failure on the last week of a training block. But there's different ways to do it. I've trained, like I said, where I'm only doing one to two sets for every single exercise all the way to failure. And I've trained to where I'm doing two to four sets for each exercise and staying just shy of failure. For me, I see that that second option, typically one, I like to train that way a little bit better. I get a little bit better pumps. I feel more productive in the gym. And maybe that's why I respond better because I actually enjoy it a little bit more. Maybe I'm more consistent or give a better effort, but find what that is for you. And then you can adjust accordingly. But I just see people getting so confused and stuck on like, there's these experts in the industry giving such different advice and it's like what the hell do i do with this when really they're just taking different studies and regurgitating them to the masses when there's this other study that completely contradicts it and they're not giving like a full context to because they're trying to sell a product right they're selling their brand which it's built off of this that just makes things so damn confusing it's one of my my goals with loss and lifting is to kind of break that not just give like the loss and lifting method which that's what every brand guru out there would try to tell you to do if you're trying to to build your business, but it's not the case. Like there's so many different ways to go about it. You just have to follow a few select principles and find these different strategies that work best for you. That was a rant, but I've been feeling so, that lately. So real quick before closing remarks, I almost want to say that a better question rather than asking like what's the best rep range for hypertrophy because I mean that question is missing I think the most important piece of context for building muscle because we answer the question as far as saying anywhere between 5 and 30 reps but what the most important thing is regardless of where you are within that rep range it's being close to failure when you hit that mark so like if I'm doing 25 reps it's not going to be until reps like 23, 24, and 25 that are actually like stimulating for muscle growth. So the ones before that don't actually mean a whole lot. So a better question would almost be how consistent do I need to be each week with my training 
and how intensely do I need to train? And from there, if you're consistent enough and intense enough, you're going to see results kind of regardless of what you do. Boom. That's the end. That's my two cents. I had some more time to think on it. And I was like, see, I feel like this question is almost like it's missing the most important factor. Yeah, it's the wrong question, right? Like I get the question. I totally understand it. I get it asked all of the time in comments on TikTok because I, I post a lot of training stuff over there lately. And so it always comes up, but so much more nuance to the question. It's not just black and white. Like simple answer is five to 30 reps is where you should be training. But like you have to understand you can train five reps, you can train 30 reps, but if it's not intense enough, the rep range means doo-doo. That's what we call junk volume there. Yeah, absolutely. So. All right, guys, we appreciate you all. Thank you for listening. We hope that you're having a great start to your new year. I'll leave Alex's information down below. Leave the podcast a star rating and review, preferably a five-star rating if you are enjoying listening and you listen every single week. We would greatly appreciate it, but leave it as you please. We just would love reviews as it helps the podcast be able to grow. And that's one of our big goals with Lost, Lost and Lifting in 2024 is to, is to revamp the podcast, get it back to and better than it ever was before, and continue to bring you guys this valuable content every single week. So we appreciate you all. Have an amazing day and we'll chat with you soon.